Today's episode is made possible with support from Bremer Bank. Work with a banker who understands your business goals and how a strong banking relationship will help you achieve them. Work with Bremer Bank. Put Bremer to work for you today at bremer.com. There is some advice that I gave Jay and Nora early on, which was that um, this is going to suck. (laughs) From Twin Cities Business, this is By All Means, a show about innovation, drive, and purpose, and the leaders who make business work in Minnesota. I'm Allison Kaplan, your host and editor-in-chief of Twin Cities Business Magazine. We're coming to you from the studios of our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas's Opus College of Business, serving more than 3,000 students enrolled in its undergraduate and graduate business programs. The college develops effective, principled business leaders who think globally and act ethically. And now, by all means. Nora and Jay Shaper are serial entrepreneurs with a big idea. Rid the world of single-use plastic bottles, starting in the bathroom. They already had a small bath products company called Bodylish, and that got them brainstorming about the possibility of a salon-quality, solid shampoo that didn't need to be encased in plastic. They were told it couldn't be done. But that only got them more fired up and led to a winning formula and a brand, High Bar, which today includes face wash and deodorant, as well as solid shampoo and conditioner. The line is now sold in more than 10,000 stores, and by their count, High Bar has eliminated nearly 5 million plastic bottles and conserved over 800,000 gallons of water. Today, we're going to trace the journey from big idea to product innovation to store shelf. That includes partnering with an experienced founder and CEO, Ward Johnson. Nora actually cornered me in the parking lot at, at Waldorf and, ah. and said, hey, I heard you sold your company and we're gonna, we want to snag you to do some, some uh, consulting for them. And kind of like a frog in boiling water, I went from consulting to finding myself as the CEO of the, of the project. But, but yeah, you guys had a product that w- or a company that was kind of in the category. So Nora and Jay, what about the two of you? So we had a company uh, called Bodylish that we made. It was like a, a home-based business that we converted our basement uh, so that it was kind of like a lab. Mm-hmm. So it had stainless steel tables, drop-down tables, and you know, room to like explore products. And we made Bodylish products down there. So, and how did you? How did that come to be? I remember Bodylish, but how did that start? That was. When did we start that, Nora? Ninety-eight. We were we weren't even married. It was before ninety-eight. It was um, it was way before we were married, and we were making soaps. It was just an interest. I had an interest in essential oils and in natural ingredients, and figuring out how to make products that were didn't have any. You know, it was all nature-based ingredients. Okay. And it was really important to me. My, my dad had been diagnosed with cancer, and so I was aware of ingredients and products anyway. Mm-hmm. Jay and I were making bath bombs, which were really popular at the time, yes. and we were making therapeutic bath bombs, so using different ingredients and, and then, you know, making really fancy soaps. Like, it, there were ways to make super fat soaps, so you could use oils at the end of the soap-making process, and so the oils would use different benefits and we were just kind of getting into it and doing farmers markets and uh, about the year before we got married we had a kiosk at the Southdale Mall really and it was the hottest winter on record i think it was like <laughs> 75 degrees the day before christmas and we basically you know it, it was a ghost town at Southdale <laughs> yeah. and i staffed it it was it sucked <laughs> Uh, yeah, so every day, you know, Christmas music in the mall. Was Santa there? Santa was there. Of course. In fact, several yeah. Santas were there. No, that's the real Santa that goes to Southdale. <laughs> I don't know if you guys knew that or not. I Santa there waiting for the shoppers. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, that was like 12 hours a day. And then I remember I was doing uh, an in-store demo of Bodylish at Lunds and Buyer Lease, and I was talking to the buyer, so he'd come and hang out and... I asked them if they thought, you know, would you guys buy a solid conditioner bar if I were able to make one? And he said, yeah, I think we would. You know, I I think that there's a demand there. So that's when I started 
in the basement just trying to make a solid hair conditioner bar. And the thought of that, what I mean, where did that even come from? Was it about getting rid of the packaging? Was yeah. that the idea? Yeah, yeah it was, it was get, getting rid of the water and the packaging. Okay. And it's something that Nora and I really, you know, we've talked about it a lot. So we used, you know, bar soap as shampoo for years that, you know, we made uh, as a bodylish product. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, soap, it doesn't really make a good shampoo. So we knew it wasn't the best product that we could make. And so we, we've thought about it for years prior to actually starting to see if we can make the product. So why not figure it out under the Bodylish label? Well, that is kind of how we got into it, because we heard Ward sold Sojo's. And it, it literally was like the next day that I tracked him down in the school parking lot. And I said, Ward, <laughs> I heard you sold Sojo's. Will you consult with me and Jay? And he said, Sure. And he, so he came over to our house where we had our studio. And the first thing he asked is, what's your why? Hmm. Where that is something that Jay and I had talked about so much. And we were like, we think we can eliminate the packaging, all the plastic packaging. Like mm-hmm. we can make products that are solid. Well, you ha- and you had a shampoo at that time. And I remember looking at that and going, and at that time, I thought it was more about travel. And I looked at that and I was like, oh, this is interesting because you can get it through TSA. Right. And, um, but then that kind of evolved into the, the whole plastic conversation. And then at the same time, the, the fourth partner was in Mexico, or I think this had happened years before. He was in Mexico on vacation and got up in the morning and looked out at the beach and saw that, oh, when you don't rake the beach in the morning, if you can get up before they come and rake the beach, there's plastic all over the beach. Mm. And so... That kind of got him on that same track, and then that led to him meeting these guys and realizing, mm-hmm. oh, my God, we're all working on the same idea. I see. So you had the why. You had a definite why. You had an inkling of how to do this. It's amazing, like so many products, to think nobody had done this before. I know. Why? Why had nobody done it? And did that scare you at all, that if no one else had done it, it must be hard to do? I think, I mean, there were shampoos. There were solid shampoos on the market. But they weren't high end. They, they were, were soap. They were soap, essentially, mm. which strips your hair. And there was Lush, too. They, they've been making solid shampoo and conditioners for, for quite a while. Uh, yeah, out of their own stores. Yeah. But um, so really what it was was uh, the realization that, you know, people who are committed to sustainability are willing to make sacrifices. But most people, and especially women, kind of draw the line when it comes to their face and their hair. It's Mm -hmm. like, you know, I want to do the right thing for the planet, but don't mess with my face and don't mess with my hair. (laughs) And so we realized really quickly, like, this product needs to not just be sustainable. It also has to perform as good or better than than what people are used to. And so that's where we set out in this line of salon quality, Mm -hmm. you know, formulated for individual hair types and, and kind of exactly how salon quality professional grade shampoo is done, but in a solid form. So that was really kind of the unique angle of it. So how long did it take from idea to product that was ready for sale? <laughs> it, it took was, a long time. Yeah, it took a long time. Almost three years. <laughs> okay. Was it really? So it was, what year was it that you accosted Ward in the parking lot, Nora? It must have been 20, yeah, January 2015. 2015. 2016. No, 2016. That's when I sold Sojo. Ah, Ish. Okay. We know that you launched in 2018. Yep. Okay. Yep. But I think it was, you know, as funny was the the name took a long time. Mm. But I think the thing that was really the biggest struggle was the shape of the bar. Uh Uh-huh. And the reason being is that we realized that the package isn't going to go into the shower with you. So you're going to throw that away. And so, you know, if it just looks like a square bar of soap, it's, it's really not going to resonate. Like the brand isn't going to resonate after you throw that package away. So uh-huh. we realized that it really needs to, the shape of it needs to reflect the brand so that that continues on past when you throw the packaging away. Hmm. And then there were also challenges with we want it to stand up straight so that when it's in a store, it's merchandise next to the other mm-hmm. shampoos. And then it has some utility to it, the way you hold it and, and apply it to your hair. So, I, I mean, I remember many, many meetings, many, and like using uh, like, like clay and 
plastered Paris to try to come up with all to these come different... up with the perfect shape. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Could you trademark that shape? Well, it turns out you can't because it has utility. Uh-huh. Uh huh. That's like the the trip up on trying to get that. Interesting. But by the time you were thinking about those elements of it, the the shape and the packaging, did you already have the formulation down? How difficult was it to create a high quality solid shampoo? So yeah, we didn't have the formula. We didn't have the the finished products. We were doing both of those, you know, in tandem. Okay. So you're in the basement concocting things? Yeah, I'm in the basement. Well, and then we also met uh, a chemist who we worked with who told us it can't be done. Really? Can't be done? Why? What was the barrier? I I think that what the chemist was saying is, you can't get the conditioning agents, you know, and the act is for whether it's uh, in our Soothe product, our Curl product, our Moisturize, ahead of the, of the cleansing properties of the bar. So, okay. you know, you, she just was, you know, you, you can't do this. You can't make a salon quality bar. Hmm. You need the water as a dilution so that you can get the conditioning agents and stuff into the bar. But we just... You know, kept pursuing it, and you know, we assembled a group of salon owners and salon customers, and I would make something, and they would test it, and they would come back, and you know, give you give us our, you know their feedback, and then just keep doing it, lots and lots of iterations. Any idea how many iterations you went through? Boy, maybe I don't really know, five hundred maybe. Wow. And was there a particular breakthrough? Was there something that you figured out that made it all come together? Well, I have a full head of hair, as you can see. I was completely bald <laughs> at that time. It was when my hair grew back Got that it. we realized we were on to something. That's amazing. <laughs> For me, it was when Melissa, the chemist who told us it couldn't be done, tried the product, and she was like, wow, that just moisturized my hair. Hmm. That just worked. Yeah, I remember that. That was a turning point. And then I was like, oh, wow, it we mm-hmm. can do it. But what can you describe? And I mean, I don't know if some of this is proprietary. Are, are we talking secrets here? I don't think so. Jay? Okay. Well, so in, in, in a basic sense, how does it work? How, how do you take what we all think of as, you know, what's in our shampoo bottle and make it solid? So, you, you know, you, you, you obviously can't use any water. So you're using a cleansing agent, you know, sodium cocal isothionate, which is derived from coconut. And it's a fine powder. And with that, you combine the glycerin and the rice protein and, you know, the complexes that we use, whether it's a soothe or moisturize or curl shampoo and conditioner. And you just find that happy medium where the bar is, has a structure, the melt point is high enough, and the performance is there. Hmm. Sounds easy. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I think another challenge of it, though, and in Melissa's defense, you know, when she was when she was casting doubt on it, she was like, the, "You're also not going to be able to find anybody to make this for you." Mm. And at that time, I had just come out of 20 years of owning a company where we manufactured our own products, and I never wanted to do that again. <laughs> and and so we really, at that time, we saw ourselves as a sales and marketing company, and we were going to hire a, a third party manufacturer to make this for us. You know, the, the the good news is that Jay, the mad scientist here, actually found a formula that really works well. The bad news is that our dreams of not manufacturing ourselves went by the wayside at that time. So you realized you were going to have to stand up your own manufacturing. Was there any point in the complexity of figuring this out and standing it up that you thought, this isn't worth it? A hundred times. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe more. <laughs> and think, what kept uh, you going? Honestly, uh I was very skeptical. There was we we joined the Minnesota Cup, signed up for that. In what year? That contest at the U of M. Mm-hmm. That was probably in twenty sixteen or twenty seventeen. Okay, so be- before you'd ever I think launched. it was twenty eighteen. I think it was the summer before oh, we launched. Before we yeah. launched. Okay, so and and they assigned us some really great consultants that worked with us, and I had this. I was freaked out because. We met with one of the consultants. She was really great, and she had us give her a bunch of samples. She was going to hand them out to her team, and then we were going to come back two weeks later and meet with her again. And when we met with her again, we said, well, so how'd you like it? And she said, honestly, none of us ever tried it. We're all kind of scared. And I had this freak out moment where I was like, oh, no, no one's going to 
even if it works, they're never going to try it. So how do you change a consumer behavior? We'll find out after a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is made possible with support from Bremer Bank. When you're looking for business advice, everyone's got an opinion, an angle, a surefire five-step plan. But if you want to know whether any of it actually makes sense for your business, who do you turn to? Work with a banker who understands your business goals and how a strong banking relationship will help you achieve them. Work with Bremer Bank because understanding is everything. Put Bremer to work for you today at bremer.com. High Bar never doubted its mission or product quality, but convincing consumers, that takes time. Take a listen. You've got this product now, but you don't know. It's, it's very different, and it's hard to introduce things that are different and change a behavior. How did you launch? Where did you launch? It's on the website, right? Was that yeah. our first? That was... Well, actually, website. you sold it to a salon in Arizona, right, Nora? Oh, yeah, that was one of our first tools. So I, I have my mom lives in Arizona part of the year, and I know a woman who has a holistic salon. And she, I knew that she would be really into it, so mm-hmm. I brought it there. But I think that part of what got us started is that our previous business, we had relationships with buyers at co-ops. Mm. And so we had this product, and I thought, <laughs> I'll I'll bring it into the buyers and mm-hmm. see what they think. And we, you know, got picked up by a bunch of co-ops in town. And then um, a Whole Foods forager, a local forager from Whole Foods, discovered us in one of the co-ops. And then we got a call from Whole Foods. What does that mean, a Whole Foods forager? So they have local. So Whole Foods is national, and most of their product line are on a national, you know, planogram. Mm -hmm. So they get the same things. But each location locally can buy products from the region or from even in town. And they hire a group of people that go out to farmers markets and whatnot and basically source Hmm. local products. And so uh, someone sourced our local product and brought it to Chicago, to the Midwest, Whole Foods region. And then we actually got a call from Whole Foods and they said, will you come to this to a summit in Chicago. Hmm. And so I went and we're that's where we met the other regions and they took my picture that you know is like on all the tags yeah. now and hanging from a banner in Whole Foods. But we weren't really thinking grocery at all. We were thinking yoga studios and salons and we were going to kind of go the green, you know, where we thought the green angle would go, but we really got picked up fast by and grocery. so you, you were national with Whole Foods in a matter of... Months, six months. And, and what happened? Was it an immediate hit? Did it start you selling? Know, How did people know what it was and what to do? That's a funny story because when, we, when you started talking to Whole Foods, we were still in the house. And then... In the, like making the product in your house? Yeah, we, we made it in our basement <laughs> for, let's see, we launched in October, I think, of 2018. And by the fall of... 2019, like late fall, maybe even, you know, towards the holiday season, we, you started talking to Whole Foods and then we, we moved that because we, we didn't want to start paying rent. You know, we couldn't really afford that. So, and Jay, you were doing it all yourself. You had no help. No, I think we had a couple people. In fact, when, you know, by, by the time we launched, we had five, five employees One coming to our house. Still with day. us. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. we had to move because the neighbors kept calling the police on Jay because they thought he was using his house as a meth lab. <laughs> Seriously? No. <laughs> I'm surprised nobody called the cops, though. Yeah. Were, were there, like, I mean, a U-Haul truck. Was, there was powder, white powder, coming out of the, the side door of the yeah. house. With Jay wearing a hazmat suit. <laughs> I, I would and rent a were... U-Haul truck and go pick up <laughs> big Sarah. blue Strangely drums. familiar. Yes. And then I would get it off the truck and then line it up on the outside of our house. So you'd uh-huh. have like 12 drums uh-huh. right alongside the house. And I'd go out there basically with a big respirator and start scooping out this white powder and then heading back into the basement. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, not suspicious at all. Yeah, no. <laughs> okay, so within the course of about a year, you, you, this is kind of a, a lot to do at home. Now you've got Whole Foods, time to actually manufacture someplace. I remember we got a big box for a, for a large order. When we were at our house, 
And I thought, wow, you know, I'm pretty proud of myself because I sourced this huge box and this is going to solve so many problems. So we get it set up in the, in the living room. And then we're like, wait a minute, we can't get this box out of the house. <laughs> Once it's set up. <laughs> Once it's set up. It's too big. And then shortly after that, we moved. I remember we moved overnight to the Wycliffe building and we were pressing and making product the very next day. And wow. then within a month, we, we filled the Whole Foods order, which I think was 36 pallets. It's That's funny because the temporary space didn't have lights. <laughs> or water. <laughs> or water. What? <laughs> I hope you got a good deal. We brought in construction lights. <laughs> yeah. While they were building our space downstairs. And Ward, are you at this time thinking like, why did I say yes yeah, to I this? Pr- I swore I was never going to do this again. <laughs> <laughs> he did. <laughs> he would say that all the time. <laughs> what did make you decide to actually become a partner and be full time as opposed to just consulting? Uh, you know, I, I really liked the early stage. I, you know, I had, I was at, um, Sojo's, the pet food company for 20 years and it was a little burned out at the end. By the time there were, you know, enough employees that I didn't know everyone's name. I, uh, I think this stage is fun. You know, the early stages where you're, I, I forgot how fun it was mm-hmm. when you're starting from th- something from scratch and it's really rewarding when you have an idea and you take it all the way through and then you see this finished product that you're mm-hmm. putting on the shelf, there's, there's something that's really rewarding about that. You mentioned, Jay, that you didn't have enough money to, to outsource manufacturing. How did, I mean, did you all bootstrap this? Did you raise money at any point in the early days? Well, we started, we all threw some money on the table when we started. And then that was it. We were on a pretty tight budget. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, one thing I forgot to mention that, that's unique about this product is not just that it performs salon quality there and, and that hadn't been done before. I think from a brand perspective, you know, a lot of the brands that were already on the market were a little bit crunchy, for lack of a better word, you know, something that's in like brown craft packaging. And you don't mean literally, you mean not just literally sort of crunchy, their but appearance. yeah, just the vibe. A little more granola, yeah. hippy dippy. Okay. And so, um, you know, and our fourth partner, that was his expertise. And so this was an opportunity to have a product that really feels high end and feels mm-hmm. salon quality. And so that was, that was very unique and, and wasn't something that was, you know, previously on, on store shelves before that time. It's interesting. We've talked to a, a few companies that have a sustainability aspect to what they do recently on By All Means. And one commented recently that, you know, in a short amount of time, hopefully, you know, sustainability will be expected. It can't be your only marketing avenue because at a certain point, you know, that's going to hopefully become standard. So did you think about that at all? That like, what if there's a day when every shampoo, you know, you can't, it can't just be about the sustainability. I, I think we, there, there's a chasm there that we recognized. You know, we came out of the gates <clears throat> very strong. And I think we resonated really easily with people that put sustainability first. And what we realized over time was if we want to cross over into a wider mainstream audience, it's going to have to be beauty first in order to accomplish the goal that we set out to accomplish. And we set out with this company to change the way that people, you know, wash their hair. And, and that was a big goal. But to do that, you have to appeal as a beauty product first. Mm. And then it's kind of like 1A and then 1B is the sustainability mm-hmm. aspect of it. So we call them light greens, like the dark greens are, are easy for us, but the light greens, we have to, we have extra work and, and we think to do that, we have to really focus on beauty as a number one. So Whole Foods represents the dark greens? Is that who you were selling to initially? Maybe even the co-ops are the dark greens. Mm-hmm. And, co- and Whole Foods certainly has dark green customers, but well, they also have light green customers. I'm just curious in those early days, I mean, did it fly off the shelves? Were you out there teaching people how to use it? Was there a learning curve? How did it go? A little bit of all of that, but it, it really flew off the shelves pretty fast. Really? It depends on the retailer, too. Yeah, it does. Like, if we're in a zero-waste store, it's a no-brainer. Right. It, it really does fly off the shelves. Mm-hmm. But we, we reached a point where we tried going into Kroger, 
and that did not work. Mm. We're, we're, we were too early because, you know, while this segment is growing really fast year over year, we haven't quite gotten mature enough where a conventional shopper is, is looking like for this kind of product. Hmm. So that's going to take some time, I think, as the perception or the, the knowledge of a sh shampoo. I mean, I still talk to people, friends of mine, who I thought they'd know what I do for a living, <laughs> who are like, wait, you, what do you do with it? You yeah. rub it. In. You know, it's still a foreign concept for a lot of people. Do, maybe this is a good time to ask, do you have any tips or tricks for people who haven't used a solid shampoo before? Well, I was going to say, make sure your hair is very wet. Yes. So, you know, traditional shampoo and conditioners over 80% water, that's all filler. This is 100% active ingredient that you're applying directly to your hair. So you don't need as much. Your hair has to be very wet in order to have the same experience. Mm -hmm. And then you just don't need to shampoo or use product as often because your hair stays clean longer and it conditions longer with the concentrated formula. But very wet hair is definitely important. And then you just literally, rub, the same way that you rub a bar of soap on your body, you just rub it on your head. People do it in different ways, but I think the best experience is to rub it on your head. Mm -hmm. Some people with longer hair paint it on their hair, especially the conditioner, and you can just get the ends or wherever you really need it. Um, and some people roll it in their hands and then apply it. But for the most suds and really the, a similar experience to a bottled product, I like just rubbing it on my hair. Okay. Um, so at this point, you are in like 10,000 locations. That's a lot. Has it been sort of a, a steady rollout or, I mean, you, you mentioned Kroger didn't quite go. Have there been other stops and starts or? You kind of have to go steady because we bootstrapped it and, and invested ourselves. We're still, the three of us are, um, you know, own most of the company. And so we haven't brought in investors. So you, Have you ever thought about it? Has there been a point where you're like, wow, we really could use more cash? I think we could move a lot faster if we had outside capital. Mm -hmm. But I think that as when you're, when you are bootstrapping it, you kind of are taking your profits from this sale and you're rolling that into the next sale. And yeah. so there's only a certain amount of speed that you can grow because you're trying to scale up your operations at the same time that you're scaling up your sales. Is that the better, just a prudent way to do it? It's the slower way to do it. <laughs> I, I think, I think we, we have, we've talked about bringing on investors before to try and speed that process up. I mean, again, Sojo's, that was the way I did it. That was 20 years. I don't really want to do 20 years again. So, <laughs> so I think that, yeah, I mean, we have to, if we're going to make the kind of impact that we want to make, I mean, we, we want to walk into Target in 10 years and see that there's more bars on the shelf than there is plastic bottles. And so to make that kind of impact, at some point, we are going to have to take on investors. Norin Jay, what about both of you? I mean, was there any scariness to, to jumping into this? I mean, Bodylish was a much smaller company. Has it just been? Yeah, not, not for me. I, I mean, I think I, I was pretty gung-ho from the first conversation that I had, you know, with the Lunds and Byerly's buyer. So I really felt like, you know, this is an opportunity in the marketplace and we just need to find the product, the market and that fit, mm -hmm. you know, and then and then launch it. Nora, what about you? Well, there's always scary parts to being, you, you know, running your own business, mm -hmm. especially when you're a couple and it's like all, you're both in it. Yeah. It's not like one of you has a, a steady job on the side. Right? Exactly. No. <laughs> but nope. that's, that's, You're all in. That's been our relationship. I mean, mm -hmm. we've had, what, three businesses together, and I've had a couple more outside of that. So mm -hmm. it, it, we're pretty immersed in that kind of mindset. I think mindset. it's in some ways liberating not to have any money. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I like that spin. <laughs> I mean, in some ways it, it is because you just figure out how to how to get by on very little. And so it's not as scary when you're, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how much more you can, you know, give, I don't know. But eliminating plastic is very motivating. Mm -hmm. And and truly that's what gets me through the day hmm. is when I look at the dashboard and it's like over 5 million bottles. That's 
that's pretty good. <laughs> you've saved. We've eliminated, you've eliminated five million bottles from wow. existing wow. through you know our retail partners and developing this product, and that's pretty motivating. Yeah, yeah. Um, you now have a team of around twenty. You said you do all the manufacturing. Do you have space where you are currently to continue growing, or or what what has to happen as you continue scaling? We're we're bursting at the seams, but um, we're not quite ready to move either. So we just make do. We just f- f- get scrappy and move stuff around and figure it out. Mm-hmm. And you've added how how many products are in the line now? Well, we um, so when we started out, it was we always knew that we wanted to shoot for a plastic free bathroom, but we were starting with with hair and conditioner because we figured that's where we. You really need to gain your credibility with hair and face. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't start with deodorant and then work your way up to hair because uh, uh, the average female customer is going to look at that and go, isn't that the deodorant company? I'm not putting that in my mm, hair. Interesting. So you kind of have to start huh. at the hardest. You can be a figured. hair company that sells deodorant, but you can't be a deodorant company <laughs> really that sells. that's true. That's so interesting. Um, <laughs> you can't fight against that gravity. And yeah. And so uh, I think that's where we wanted to start, and then we and then we came out with face wash and deodorant, and Jay is madly working on lots of other different products. Hmm. So we what? probably have twenty SKU now. Total between all three products. Have yeah. the subsequent products been easier to figure out than the shampoo and conditioner? Hmm. Yes and no. Yeah, yes and no. Hard. Yeah, face wash is pretty hard because it's not a soap product. It's it's an amino acid-based uh, face wash that mirrors what you'd find in a plastic bottle just without the plastic bottle and without the water. So it that's a pretty challenging product to formulate. And then you have, you know, it's an anhydrous product, no water. So you pour it into a mold. You pour the, the bars upside down, and it's a compound angled bar. So once you pour it in the mold, it'll cool at different speeds all over the bar, which creates holes or cavitation in in the top of the bar hmm. it, it, while it's in the mold, which is actually the bottom of the bar. So, you know, there's there's a lot of complications. With Can you that. repeat the part about the things? <laughs> <laughs> Glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> so <laughs> so wh- what what have you experienced as far as sales with the other products? I mean, did deodorant sell as well as shampoo or? Deodorant is actually, I didn't think this was going to happen, but I, it, personally, I thought the face wash was going to be a slam dunk just because I tried it and it was so great. I was like, oh my God, this is like the best face wash I've ever tried. Mm-hmm. And then deodorant, I just thought, well, that's just a commodity. I don't know that anybody's going to buy that. But the deodorant has actually been really well. That one has taken off. I think that people aren't as afraid to convert when it's a deodorant, you know, rather than like they are afraid their hair is going to get messed up or their face will get messed up. Mm-hmm. But a deodorant, you know, like they'll just reapply their other deodorant if they don't like, you know. So I think it's an easier access product. You're probably right. My daughter tried the face wash and like, you know, she, her face all of a sudden was just completely clear. And I'm like, oh, my God, this product's amazing. But unfortunately, she's not willing to do a before and after picture. So uh, <laughs> it's a tougher sell. Um, can I ask kind of a dumb question? I mean, with, with the shampoo, obviously, you just keep it on a little ledge in your shower or something. W- where do you keep this deodorant that has no package? Deodorant does have a package. Okay. It's in a cardboard. Got Basically, it. it looks just like a normal plastic tube of deodorant, but it's in cardboard. The stores that embraced you from the start, are they the same ones that are taking on all of the additional products, or does that open different selling streams? Whole Foods has brought in all of our products so far. Okay. Every product line, which is great. But, you know, we have a lot of different stores with different formats, and I feel like Whole Foods is a really excellent partner for us, in part because they have the whole body staff. Mm Mm-hmm. And we spend time training that staff Mm. so they can help explain to consumers, you know, how our product is used or in stores where we don't have an opportunity, you know, to do training. It's um, it can be a harder sell. Mm -hmm. But so far, we're finding really good acceptance of the accounts that brought in hair care. They 
really love our brand and they're excited about other product lines that we're bringing in. So who, what do you know about your customer? Who is your customer? Are they mostly female? Are they age, demo? How important is the environment to them? Yeah, they're, they're 18 to, what would you say, 44 years old, female customer, younger than we thought. You know, I think that Because they care more about the Yeah, the younger people are really driving this conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, um, they're the ones, I don't know about you guys, but, you know, my kids are the ones that are shaming me and making, you know, leadership through shame, trying to uh, get us to eliminate plastic from our house. But yeah, it's it's a customer that believes strongly in making choices for the environment, but not at the expense of the uh, the performance that they want to see and, and the beauty that they want to get out of these products. So you're still leading with sustainability. Do you imagine a day where you, where you won't, where that won't be the, the message or the marketing? I could see that. I mean, these products really do work better than it. And, and I don't think we, we didn't know that was going to happen. We want it to be as good as, but mm-hmm. the, the shampoo and conditioner really does work better than bottled shampoo, like Nora was saying. Bottled shampoo and conditioner is 80% water, so it's diluted, and the ingredients are more concentrated in this product. So it, it really does deliver more actives to your hair and, and, and works better. So what about copycats? I, I have to think that uh, once you proved that you could do this, Jay, other companies were clamoring to do it. Yes, no? Yeah, there's so many competitors. There, the there are, you know, and, and the, the mission is to reduce plastic. Reduce single-use plastic. So the, the more, the merrier. Hmm. You know, and like what Morb mentioned, in 10 years, we, we do want to go into a Target and see mostly solid products. And, and you don't mean that being all high bar? No. No. <laughs> I mean, it'd be okay, right? It, yeah. It'd be okay. But no, like, you know, the space has to evolve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so we look at those, we look at the bottle as being the, really the enemy you know, those other companies that are doing products like ours are helping spread the word and they're helping to train people on what is a shampoo and conditioner bar. But how do, but this is a good example of, you know, mission versus, I mean, you're not a nonprofit. So the mission is, is wonderful. And I understand that drives you, but you also have to make money. And if bigger companies start doing what you're doing, then w- what happens? Do you have enough of a head start? I mean, that's the hope. I think w- w- when we set out to do this, we thought, as uh, as this category grows, we want to stay in the top three of the conversation and just make sure that we're that we're there and that we're relevant as it grows because we did know that it would it would start to grow. Mm-hmm. So that's where we're trying to stay. Now, what's going to happen when a you know one of the big big guys comes out with a product like this? You know, I think there's still a place for us because it is a salon quality brand. It's a higher end brand. Mm-hmm. So just the same as with regular shampoo, you know, you have your your big brand shampoo and you still have a smaller companies. You know, if we could uh I don't I don't see us being the P&G of of solid products, but if we could be the Aveda of solid products, <laughs> I'd be pretty happy. Yeah. <laughs> Why haven't the big guys done this? You know, what comes to my mind, and I'm not sure if this is a reason why they don't do it, but Big guys, you know, they use contract manufacturers. Mm. And you really, I don't know of any contract manufacturer that would make our shampoo. Hmm. That's why we didn't do it. We thought, well, we're, we'll get somebody else to make it, but nobody would. Why? You know, our product is about 50% liquid. You know, they call it a liquid load. So half of it is liquid. And, and a contract manufacturer uh, uses a base where you can only have 7% of a liquid load. Hmm. And they they don't like to work with powders. So, you know, we work with, with sodium cocolisethionate in powder form for our shampoos. And a contract manufacturer just doesn't want to use that. Is it just messier? It's messier. You know, you, you start working with powders and it gets all over the production floor. And so they would come to us with products that they made through using a base and then add the 7% liquid. And it just did not perform well for us. Mm. So, you know, maybe the big guys are going to have to figure out how they're going to make the product that can compete. Mm-hmm. Or what if they wanted to acquire you? Is that something you think about? I mean, it, at the end of the day, how much impact we're making uh, on plastic is is going to guide that decision. So, you know, if a big guy came along and we thought that the opportunity there was 
to that you know Jay and Nora and I have taken things as far as we can mm -hmm. and we can't grow this thing anymore and we're actually holding it back that would be a time that we would be open to a conversation like that at, at the end of the day like Nora said that's the that's the primary focus is eliminating plastic you don't feel like you've done all you can do yet though what what what's what's in the next year next 3 years more products more countries potentially more um, awareness of our brand and like something in in a store that has all of our products the solution to the whole bathroom mm -hmm. yeah i think that's the the, the goal is a plastic free bathroom if we can get there and so this year is just about adding more products to that do you have space or time in your day to ever say wow we're doing this I mean, we might not be, you know, done, but you're making an impact. I, I, I yeah. cheer myself on almost every day. <laughs> That's what keeps you going. You know, I think you have to keep Somebody the mission uh, up, up, you know, in the top of mind because there's the challenges and there's the, you know, the mistakes and, you know, other things that if you just focus on that, you will get down. Mm -hmm. So I think we're pretty good at being aware that our, our mission is really important and we are accomplishing what we set out to do. Yeah, that's amazing. What, uh, what would you do differently if you, if you had it to do over, go back to 2016 till now? Is there, is there something you would do that would have made this easier or faster? I would have gone into Kroger. Uh -huh. You know, I think that was a mistake for us. It was Interesting that they wanted it. I mean, they, they were ready for it. It's just their customers weren't. Yeah, I mean, I think they're, you know, corporately, they had sustainability sustainability goals that they wanted to adhere to, or they have standards, um, I think, for the number of products that they're supposed to be carrying that are sustainable. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, we were just too small uh, to create the kind of customer awareness it would take mm -hmm. to support a product in that many stores. How many stores they had? Like 3,000? Mm -hmm. You know, it was just too fast, too much. Hmm. It was also COVID. I mean, we, we kind of forget about that, but they had bare store shelves at, at a lot of their banners. Hmm. And our, is it, ours is a high-end product, and so it just doesn't, I don't think, sells well in a location like that either. Mm -hmm. There were a few Kroger banners that we did great in, but... Um, yeah, for the most part, it was a rough one. And I think, you know, it's not to say that it can't be someday. I just think that, um, I think that it just wasn't, it, we weren't ready yet. Sure. Who That's knows? a good learning. Maybe there'll be another opportunity down the road. But yeah, we weren't ready for it yet. Well, I don't know if it's us either. Um, like Target still is telling us that we're not ready to be in store. Really? They think, you know, we're online with Target.com and, mm -hmm. and they're not ready to commit to this kind of product line in the, on their store shelves yet. I'm why? Not, I'm not ready to be in Target yet either. Why? <laughs> why, I, I, why? Tell me. <laughs> why do you say that? Well, I think that uh, a couple of things. I mean, one, the experience with Kroger, I think, told us that we need to really focus on the foundational customers that are working really well mm -hmm. and grow from there. You know, I'm reminded of a conversation very early on I met with with uh, Monica Nassif, who was the founder of Miss Myers. Yeah. And she said something that really resonated with me, which was, you can't fight against gravity in retail. Hmm. And so I think uh, what she meant by that is you can't go to, let's say, Target and then go to a high-end salon. Mm. It has to be the other way around. You have to establish yourself with a high-end customer, and then you can then you can make those moves. You know, it's not to say that a move like that is imminent, but I, I prefer to really focus on the customers that are supporting us right now mm -hmm. and the customers that gave us a chance at the beginning, establish that foundation really well, as opposed to making a big, a big risky leap like Target. Sure. What are your biggest channels right now? I mean, is it higher-end salons? Is it Whole Foods? Where are most people buying High Bar? Organic grocery, would you say? Yeah, natural natural groceries are probably biggest channel, um, but we are in salons and eco stores and REI, mm. out you know outdoor. Mm -hmm. um, it works well. Travel, we're in airports, mm -hmm. so it can go in a lot of different channels. That's great. What advice would you all give to other people starting out with a product, especially something like this that's really 
new or, you know, creating a new category? What would you tell yourselves? I, well, there is some advice that I gave Jay and Nora early on, which was that um, this is going to suck. <laughs> <laughs> um, Has that proven true? No, I think that a, a, an entrepreneur, you know, really, it, no matter how good an idea is, it's about the entrepreneur and, and their level of commitment and, and their willingness to work ungodly hours. Hmm. And Jay and Nora have been willing to do that. And, you know, but it, it has to kind of consume your life hmm. in order for you to be, you know, they say nine in 10 new ventures fail. If you want to be that one in 10, you have to really be willing to live, eat, breathe. Uh, you know, I, I bet that's all you guys probably talk about at home is high bar. And, um, you know, it can be really exhausting and draining and not rewarding. And well, you make it sound, I make it sound so bad. enticing. I mean, there are, you know, and, the, and then eventually, you know, you can, you, you will. And there, you know, along the way, there are, there are definitely, there are definitely rewards along the way, but you're not, you're not signing up for a, a nine to five corporate job where you get to just go home and, and then check out. Right. You're going to be thinking about this all the time. Yeah. Every time you're in the shower, you're going to be thinking about it. Every time you're on a walk, you're going to be thinking about it. And, Is that uh, true, Nora and Jay? How do, you, how do you balance? How do you do it, especially when it's in your marriage as well as your lives, your careers, all of it? Yeah, I think our balance is high bar. I mean, it's just, it, it is all consuming. I mean, it, it we, we work a lot and, you know, it comes first. So, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Nora's like, wait a second. <laughs> I mean, do, do you want to rephrase that? Yeah, yeah maybe so I should. Go home read. tonight? <laughs> uh, it comes third. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a lot of times, it, it, you know, you have to, there's fires to put out, you mm -hmm. know, and you do have to jump and you do have to put those fires out. Mm -hmm. So uh, what I guess I mean is it comes before you know, I guess, plants. <laughs> <laughs> well, that romantic dinner that you were in no doubt planning for tonight. Yeah. yeah. You can have the rom romantic dinner. You just have to talk about high bar the whole time uh -oh. that you're on that day. I thought you were going to say it has to be in the factory. <laughs> <laughs> Anything to add to that, Nora? Um, I, all of that is is true. I, I think it's easier personally to be working with Jay because otherwise we wouldn't see each other. Mm. And and honestly, Jay and I have figured something out because we worked bodylish together too, mm -hmm. and we've raised our kids together. And somehow, you know, we have a nice balance of um, like calling each other out, but having each other's back. Mm -hmm. That is really unique. Like I know I can fully trust him, and and for me, it's kind of fun. You know, our kids are working for the business, and what do they do? Like, do you think they're in it? Or is one this is just making a... shampoo and one is filling orders. Okay. And, and they're not interested in any responsibility because <laughs> they don't want the pressure huh. of their parents plus bosses mm -hmm. leaning down, breathing down their neck. But, um, but it's kind of like part of our, it's just kind of our life. Yeah, yeah. But for Jay and I, you know, we also escape up north a lot lately. We have land, raw land, and it doesn't have electricity. Or, you know, no cell service, basically. So mm. when we get out there and we just do physical work or run around and nobody can reach us and we kind of forget about all of the problems back in the city. War, do you allow that to happen? No cell reception? <laughs> we don't tell I him. I didn't know anything about this. <laughs> and, and as far as the dynamic and the, the leadership structure that you've set up, talk about that and what the, what the benefits have been. It's great because... Ward, you know, is a natural CEO, in my opinion. He's got the experience. He's really pleasant to work with. <laughs> he's really smart. You know, he's keeping an eye on our margins, which is not something I want to do. And so I think that works really well. Jay manages, you know, the warehouse and um, all of the employees there. And then I manage the sales team and the service team. And so I'm pitching and off traveling and in and out of the office. And it, it, it's a nice balance, I feel like. Yeah, sounds yeah, like it. Yeah, I would agree with that. So ultimately, you feel like 
it's it's what you had hoped. I mean, you're you're doing what you set out to do. You've five million bottles, one million gallons of water saved. That's pretty good. Well, for me too, it's better than I hoped. I mean, I also like, and and these two maybe can't relate to this as well as I can, but being a female in a sea level, you know, and also being a co-founding female. Mm-hmm. And and for me, you know, I've been able to bond with a lot of other entrepreneurs that mm-hmm. are female, and it's really powerful to be in charge of a company. Yeah. Um, and I like that. That's great. Um, one of the challenges that we have right now is we're a little bit in that no man's land bef- where you're, you're a little too, you're too small to be able to n- delegate. And, and you're too big to the point where, you know, it feels like sometimes the three of us are doing a lot. Mm. And uh, I remember that was a challenge for me at my last business was getting to that point where you could let go, like mm-hmm. let go of the vine, they say. And um, I'm, I'm big into EOS. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, that's a challenge where you feel like you're kind of doing everything and you really shouldn't be. You know, I'm sure Jay especially is finding himself doing things all the time where, you know, your time is not best spent doing this particular thing, but you don't, you're not big enough quite yet where you can hire somebody that can help you do those things. Right. So, um, so we're a little bit in that in-between phase and, and hoping to, it's always a challenge for me. Delegating is always a challenge for me. Yeah. Um, and, um, but I think that's something that you know, we're hoping to focus on as we move forward. Do you want to leave us with maybe a couple of sobering stats that might make the doubters out there switch to a solid shampoo or face wash? There's supposed to be more plastic in the ocean than sea life by 2050, oh. which is pretty devastating. And the shampoo, it, you know, the whole trend line of, of the environmental body care space is to me, it reminds me of the, the cars, you know, the electric cars. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we probably should have been doing electric cars since the 20s and yeah. never gone the way of fossil fuels. And same with, with you know, our product line. I mean, it, it works better than the bottle. You don't need the bottle. I know I think the marketers want the bottle because you can put the brand on there and you see it every single day. So it is a challenge to get rid of that billboard that you put in the shower but in the end, you know, the product could be as good, if not better, than what's on the market today. And I think that's what's going to happen. People are going to learn and discover that solid shampoo and conditioners and deodorants and, and face washes and face serums and hair gel, all that stuff could be done without the bottle. Yeah. And it, it will be done without the bottle. You know, in 10 years, I think it's going to be the bottle that is, you know, the, the minority in, on the shelf. Right. Well, and I'm sure High Bar will be very prominent on that shelf. (laughs) It's amazing what you've accomplished, what you set out to do. It's really big. It's not just it's hard enough to launch a new product, let alone a whole new category. So congratulations. It's so exciting every time I see it. And I know that you're a Minnesota company. And now to to know you all personally, it's very cool. Congrats on what you've built. And I hope you'll come back and uh, share the next chapter, too. Thanks, Sally. Thanks, Sally. Well, just remember, get your hair thoroughly wet before you suds up. You can check out the brand and their entire collection of products at HelloHibar.com. For more perspective, I'm still kind of amazed at what these founders are pulling off. It's such a big vision. Let's go back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas, Opus College of Business, where Jason Paddett is a professor of management. So I know you were impressed by the scope of this challenge. This is uh, these are founders who are are mission driven, but this is a for profit company. They're not just creating a new product. It's literally inventing a, a category that not a lot of people are familiar with. Not everybody's used a solid shampoo. So how do you reconcile all of those different aspects to this? This is fascinating because these are not neophyte founders. They actually recognize many of the challenges of being a mission-based company right off the bat, actually having come from some mission-based companies in the past. 
So they recognize, A, yeah, there is a technical challenge here with your product, but also trying to move into a, a product area where they recognized immediately that the consumer did not want to sacrifice on the quality of this product. There were some previous examples in the marketplace, much lower quality. They're saying, you know, if you're talking beauty and health products, don't mess with my face and hair. This product has to be high quality right from the get go. So, you know, they walked into this business eyes wide open with a particular intended strategy and it began to emerge as the market opened up for them and working with the different marketing channels that they were partnering with early on. I thought it was so interesting when they talked really candidly about their experience with Kroger, which for a lot of brands, like, wow, what an amazing opportunity to get into a national retailer like that. And it, it didn't go well. And, and they, you know, it was perhaps too early. The market wasn't ready for it. But how how do you suggest for others, founders out there who see that as sort of, you know, the, the mark of success, how do you make sure you're prepared? Yeah, this was really telling. And the fact that Kroger's corporate was ready for this product, but not necessarily their consumers, this kind of lull you as a founder into a false sense of security that this is going to be a win going into that particular distribution channel. So as a founder, particularly with a lifestyle of health and sustainability type of product, it's important to look at the data and to understand that the consumer segment that makes up this lifestyle of health and sustainability is only about 20% of the market. So hmm. actually, their initial foray into Whole Foods seemed to be like the right spot for them. This is the I'm, I'm also a strategy professor, not just a sustainability guy. So this is classic differentiation, focus differentiation type of strategy looking at that customer segment. So the challenge here is, OK, as consumer demographics change and more people kind of enter those upper segments for sustainable products, for lifestyle health products, that's when you can begin to move into those types of distribution channels. It's really hard to change people's buying habits. Yeah. But also, in, in this case, some of the purchases around sustainability, it's ideological, to be honest, in the United States. Hmm. So let's just let's just say that they had come to you before accepting the Kroger deal. What would you have, have advised? I, I think that if I had been asked that question, I, I would have said that they should have avoided going into that channel at that point, even though it seemed like a big win, because there's a lot of pressure on mission-based businesses, particularly when they're trying to scale quickly. Mm -hmm. to get that commercial win. And it can cause them to then sacrifice on their mission base, their, this company being uh, environmental sustainability, that right. part of, of the business. And there's lots of research actually that shows this dual tension that happens in businesses that are, are mission-based in the growth phase, often having to sacrifice on one of those areas, either hmm. trying to slow down, pull back on growth, or they sacrifice on some of the underlying other parts of the mission that are critical in this case, environmental sustainability. So interesting. So, so better to, to make sure that you are delivering fully on your mission before you try to bring it to the masses who might not care, frankly, as much about the mission as you do. They just want a good product. Right, right. And in this case, you know, given that this is a product that is a premium price, I mean, if you go to their website, you can see that these are, are definitely premium price products. Yeah. Um, if you're focusing on a customer segment that already is kind of small and then overlaps here also with your, your mission, this does give you some pause as a founder about how quickly you can scale without trying to or, or needing to sacrifice on the actual quality of the product. And the, yeah. the discussion of the engineering here was really fascinating about the percent of water in the product. My, my background's in engineering, so I was eating that up listening to that part of the, the interview. Oh, wow. Maybe you should have done this. <laughs> we can all say that, right? Shoulda, woulda, coulda, but they did it. And it seems like they learned from the mistakes that they've made along the way and really created something that could be a, an industry leader. And maybe the next time we talk, it'll be that shampoo without a plastic bottle is just a standard and expected and not something really unusual. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And I think the big move for them is if they can get into target, that I think can really be a game changer for the the category. That's a yeah. segment in, in a store where the customers are really ready and kind of itching for those types of products. And it was interesting to hear the target doesn't quite feel their customers are ready yet. Isn't it? Well, they don't either, though. They said they're not ready for target. But I think that that just shows that they're learning and they're planning and they'll get there. I'm absolutely. sure they will. Absolutely. Well, Jason Paddett, thank you so much for the perspective. You really were the the perfect professor to talk to for this episode, and we really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the show, go to tcbmag.com slash by all means. You'll find all our episodes, professor insights, and much more. Thanks again for listening to By All Means. Teamwork to make by all means, and we've got some all stars. Thanks to our audio engineer, Tom Ferlitti. Digital support is Ricky Hannigan and Dan Nepo. Thanks to the University of St. Thomas, Opus College of Business, and Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, especially Dean Laura Dunham, for all their support. Our theme music is by Song Finch. Thank you for listening to By All Means. Music